Welcome to the Macomb Israel Teacher's Lounge podcast, where we connect students and listeners to what's happening in Israel and give you insight behind the headlines. I am your host, Michael Unterberg, here today with co-host and producer, Matthew Lippman. How are you, Matt? I'm very well, thank you, Michael. And before this week, instead of jumping into the politics, we're going to wait for the dust to settle a bit longer. But there was an interesting coup attempt, maybe, in Jordan. And so uh, today we've brought a returning guest, friend of the podcast, to help us understand what is going on in our neighbor's country. Can you please introduce him, Matt? It would be my pleasure. This, this afternoon we're being joined by Dr. Lerman. Dr. Lerman is the vice president of the Jerusalem Institute for Strategy and Security. He's previously served as deputy director for foreign policy and international affairs at the National Security Council in the Israel Prime Minister's office. He holds a PhD from the London School of Economics and is an expert on Israel's foreign relations and the Middle East. How are you, sir? Thank you for coming. Well, holding up, uh, you know, it's uh, being recorded on Memorial Day for the Holocaust, so it's a somber yeah. day, a uh, day yeah. of, uh, of reflecting on the distance we've traveled. When I teach my foreign students uh, what happened uh, to Israeli security, I start with de profundis, from the depths of, of helplessness to where we are now. I think it's a source for some reflection, a reason for I mean, some reflection. From working in Israel, Israel security circles, I guess this is a silly question, but but how profound is the Holocaust as a background concept yeah. to Israeli security thinking? I mean, it's it's there every day. Um, yeah. I have seen many um, officers of command of, of people in high command, uh, which have put up on their wall that famous uh, photograph of the Israeli uh, uh, Air Force. Uh, planes flying over Auschwitz, uh, basically yeah. a way of saying, uh, there we are, but we came too late. Right. right. It's very much Israel doesn't exist. Israel doesn't and, exist because of the Holocaust, but the Holocaust happened because there was no Israel. Absolutely. And and uh, had, we, had the Arabs not uh, pressured the British to give up on partition in 37, 38, we may have had a, sure, a safe haven to take at least some of the Jews of Europe. But that's a long and complicated story. Yeah, 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 yeah. But thank you for, for bringing it up. Yeah, I'm happy to see the uh, the owls behind you, as always, yeah. to orient yes. that your your friends have decided that since you're not a hawk or a dove, but you're an owl with insight. So, so this news story is fairly opaque. It's difficult to understand. And so we, we wanted to turn to you to help us understand what may be anything we can glean from what happened, but also in well, general, just to understand the nature of our relationship with Jordan and what it means to, what that relationship means to us in Israel. So let, let's break this into two very different sets of issues. Um, this, was a, this was essentially a family um, quarrel rather than a coup attempt. Uh, for, a, for a while now, uh, Prince Hamza, who was supposed for a while to be uh, uh, the heir apparent, the, uh, the heir to the throne. Um, and this is what uh, King Abdullah promised his dying father, that his half-brother Hamza would be um, his uh, uh, crown prince. 
uh, was he was pushed aside in favor of Abdallah's uh, children. By the way, King Hussein did the same to his brother Hassan, who for many oh, many right, years, yeah. for for uh, many many years was the crown prince. He was anointed the crown prince in uh, the first of uh, April, um, fifty six or something. And uh, and for forty years he assumed he is going to be the crown prince of Jordan, and and inherit his brother. And then he was pushed aside in favor of uh, his his brother's uh, son Abdullah. Abdullah II. And then uh, Prince Hassan, who had a sense of humor, said basically this was the longest April Fool's joke ever played on anyone. <laughs> But uh, uh, Hassan was a graceful man, and he moved aside uh, and, and threw himself into the efforts of promoting peace worldwide and with Israel. And he was uh, he he was graceful about it. Mm-hmm. Hamza a bit less so, and there's of course uh, also the mother, uh, Queen Noor, King Hussein's last uh, of of several wives. Mm-hmm. Who who was uh, angry and frustrated seeing her son pushed aside, um, and uh, they built on the assumption that the uh, Jordanian elite, uh, among the Jordanian elite, among the Jordanian uh, uh, Bedouin uh, backbone, there will be sympathy for Hamza because he is the the son of uh, Arab. Uh, an Arab woman. Uh, uh-huh. His uh, his Arabic is uh, of higher uh, quality than that of Abdallah, who was the son of an English woman, and and uh, his Arabic was essentially acquired. His uh, his, his native huh. his, his mother's tongue, literally, uh, is is English, and uh, and he, he does speak uh, impressive Arabic nowadays. But he, when he came into power, there was a lot for him to learn. Um, and and so they assumed that Hamza's popularity, Hamza's standing among uh, among uh, elements of uh, Jordanian society, uh, would uh, perhaps coerce uh, his half brother to reinstate him, or anyway to take him into consideration as a power uh, behind the thrones or behind the throne with the throne. Uh, this is a game of uh, a game of thrones story, <laughs> really, um, and and. Um, Somehow, uh, Hamza and, and people associated with him, some of them uh, long associated also with the peace process with Israel, some of them familiar uh, to our friends, uh, um, American Jews who worked closely with Jordan, uh, were, were stirring up trouble in Jordan over various issues. And, and there's no lack of issues. Uh, corruption, uh, malfunction, uh, there was a terrible story in a hospital where several people died because of a mismanagement of the oxygen mm-hmm. providing machine during uh, in the in the corona uh, ward etc uh, there were any number of issues is it fair and to say that jordan's king is 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 a person from the first world but jordan is not a first world country or is that not it a- is certainly not a first world country it is right. not a third it is it doesn't hover at the bottom of the list in the region because it does have an a a thriving entrepreneurial class mostly mm-hmm. Palest- mostly palestinians who were made to feel welcome under uh, abdallah and his palestinian wife uh, rania 
And, the first, uh, you mean the, the grandfather, the first No, king. no, I mean, no, no, the, the, oh, this, this king. king. Abdallah II is uh-huh. married to a Palestinian, a gorgeous Palestinian woman. Uh-huh. Uh, Rania, I've had the pleasure, by the way, of being the guest with a group of uh, American Jewish leaders in, uh, in, uh, in Amman. Um, very graceful. And uh, she's of Palestinian origin. Um, he met her, I think, when she was uh, uh, serving in a computer shop or something of the sort. And, and uh, the um, and and the, the definitely uh, the Palestinians were made to feel at home. The Palestinian economic elite, the business elite of Jordan, thrived. But many in the um, well, of course, the lower classes are frustrated for two reasons. First of all, the country doesn't is not thriving, certainly not not in the present world conditions, mm-hmm. and moreover, they had the burden of a million Syrian refugees, utterly mm-hmm. destitute Syrian refugees. These are not the Iraqis who made it over to Jordan during the Iraqi conflict of two thousand and three with piles of money. Uh, to invest and to spend and then just went to Amman, to Jordan for safety. These these are people who came with barely their shirts on their backs from, from the devastation of Syria. And they filled the streets of, of the cities of, of Jordan, not only in the north. And they, uh, and they jostled for place with the lower classes of, of Jordanian society. So tensions are real and, and the situation is complicated. And you add to this the you know, the, the usual problems of, of corruption and, and dysfunction uh, that you see across the region. And as I said, add to this the unhappiness of people in the Bedouin, within the Bedouin elite, um, about this favoritism shown to the uh, Palestinian business class. And, and uh, there are questions about uh, the, the, the king, his wife. Etc. So uh, mm-hmm. all of this is is fertile ground for. Uh, I'm not. I'm not sure that uh, uh, anyone actually spoke here about a coup attempt. A coup requires uh, uh, the loyalty of elements of the security forces, and there is no indication that any significant part of the security forces actually went over uh, to Hamza's side and and plotted the overthrow. Of the of the present king, but they were still. But there was certainly trouble. Uh, what was Hamza doing? Well, he was stirring. They, they were stirring up criticism of the government. Uh-huh. They was and there was quite a widespread wave of uh, of dissatisfaction, demonstrations, um, bad stories making the rounds in the uh, in, in in the media and so on. And uh, here's the question, we, we're not entirely sure, but there's the impression that elements from the Gulf uh, may have uh, thought they would benefit from playing a role in, in mm. uh, fomenting this uh, disaffection in Jordan. So, what, can, I, so can you name drop any names of countries? Or? Yeah, I, I'd rather, no, honestly, <laughs> I'm not entirely sure uh, ah. whether the regime is just trying to pin blame on external right. forces, or whether this was real, and whether this were, these were governments doing it, or um, or uh, um, the uh, let's say uh, wealthy individuals, uh, wealthy individuals, or, players. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I'm very careful here. There's more, you know. There's, uh, Fair enough. Uh, 
in Hebrew it's Rava Nistar al There's more that we don't know than we know. Right. And to, to paraphrase uh, Donald Rumsfeld, uh, there are things we don't even know that we don't know <laughs> about this, sto- this story. So um, I'm being careful here. Can, can I just but this is essentially essentially they have signed Hamza uh, on a they forced Hamza to sign a, a document uh, saying he would respect the king and cooperate uh, with with his governance, and they did arrest uh, some of the people associated with this uh, uh, let's say uh, not exactly subversion but but the subversive activities uh, that were going on. So, can so I, that's that's as much as we know about uh, the situation. So can I just ask um, you about that, Dr. Lemon, if, if that's okay? Um, so as you said, there's a lot we don't know about this. Um, but is are you suspecting that Hamza's goal was to re- replace one king with another king? Because normally a coup kind of suggests a change of government system, right? Or a change of... Um, lead, leadership system, right? You go, but, right, but this wasn't a coup, man. right? So that's no, no. What I'm as I'm saying, I'm saying this is why why I avoid the four-letter word. Um, yeah. um, that four-letter word, okay. uh, that for that four-letter. No, I also, you know, in Egypt, I never used the term because that would require the United States government to cease and desist all all military aid to Egypt, and that may not even be a very good idea from an Israeli point of view, right. uh, mm. given the American role in sustaining the peace agreements. So uh, what happened in Egypt in in 2013 was, uh, let's say, the military acting as a midwife to the people's will. So uh, I don't use the four-letter word. Okay. Uh, in in the case of Jordan, uh, it wasn't really even uh, remotely like anything uh, that we would describe by that word. Uh, it was, I would say, subversion, um, some kind of popular disaffection making itself uh, felt and probably with the idea of either reinstituting Hamza as the crown prince, not as, as, as king, uh, and or otherwise uh, forcing the king to take his half-brother, uh, brother's views uh, and his half-brother's associates uh, into account in, in governing uh, national policy. I think that's that's a, that's my understanding of what happened. It didn't go as far as to actually threaten an overthrow. But since uh, we know uh, from 2011 that things can get out of control, that, the, that what begins as a localized protest can actually very rapidly uh, transform itself into something else altogether, uh, at some point, uh, the king decided to foot, put his uh, foot down and and, uh, and put an end to this. And this is apparently what happened. Now, on the Israeli side of the equation, um, we, we it, there, are, there are problems nowadays. And, and I've seen very serious uh, scholarship, for example, from Asher Sasser, whom I consider to be probably the greatest uh, scholar on Jordan that we have in Israel, uh, very severely criticizing the present Israeli government for undermining uh, the relationship with Jordan or not doing enough to sustain it properly and, 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 and in some this place and that place, annoying or breaking, uh, uh, or bringing the relations to the point of... of uh, not collapse, but uh, rupture. 
at least at a personal level, um, there was a, an incident uh, that uh, involved, uh, in, which involved the, uh, the prevention of a visit uh, by the crown prince to the Temple Mount because um, he brought more security guards with him than was originally coordinated and uh, could have been settled uh, mm. from above but wasn't. Uh, personal relations between the Prime Minister and the King are not as good as they should be, definitely, uh, I would say that. And then the Jordanians uh, uh, made it difficult for Netanyahu to fly uh, over their territory to, uh, to the UAE, which led to the cancellation of that visit. And there's clearly no, there was clearly no wish on the part of King Abdullah to be complicit in something that, uh, that he saw as an, as a, as an election um, ploy as, as an attempt by Netanyahu to gain uh, kudos ahead of the Israeli election. So there is there's a personal dimension, there's a political dimension, there is a, uh, a constant worry in Jordan that Israel would uh, change things on the Temple Mount in ways which would put the mm-hmm. Jordanians uh, on in, in, a sticky, in a sticky spot. Uh, we have our own grievances. Uh, um, this woman Tamimi, uh, Ahlam Tamimi, who's a murderer, I mean, a complicit uh, in, in the slaughter, the murder of many. Uh, in Jerusalem, in the in the famous uh, Sbarro, infamous Sbarro bombing, uh, lives in Jordan uh, for a uh, now. I think she's a bit more quiet, but she even had uh, media coverage. Uh, mm-hmm. She became a hero, a media personality, a celeb of sorts. All of this has been very, very disappointing, very troubling. Um, so we and and uh, there are other issues, and of course the Jordanian decision to reclaim the areas tilled by Israeli uh, farmers in, in the Arava and in the uh, Jordan, in the Upper Jordan Valley, uh, were was disappointing. Uh, they they were acting within their rights, but it was disappointing, and and uh, the response has been recently to uh, delay or, or suspend. Uh, the decision on uh, additional waters beyond uh, the waters uh, we are committed to give to the Jordanians under the treaty. We've always been giving them more than they are uh, entitled to because of, because we want stability and prosperity in Jordan. And all of this has created the situation of, of tension. I think uh, personally that uh, while we do need to communicate to the Jordanians things that are morally and and politically important to us, we also need to do this in the context of supporting the stability of the Hashemite house in Jordan uh, to the best of our ability. Because this is a relationship that goes back 102 years, if you wish, to the five well, the Hashemite house, I just just to make sure our listeners understand what you're referring to, Jordan is ruled by a family, yeah. a colonially established monarchy. This is people yeah. from from the Hejaz, right from the from the Mecca Medina region, and they were given control over what was first called Transjordan and now Jordan. They're not native to the region, but this is one of the few remaining colonial colonially yeah. placed. Yeah. You, you could you could say that they they were they rebel the Hashemites 
instigated by British intelligence from Cairo during World War I rebelled against the Ottomans, and in return they were promised an Arab state that would include Iraq, Syria, um, and the Hejaz itself. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and of course, uh, uh, Transjordan was given to them by Churchill in, uh, in 1922. Um, but um, uh, and, and, and in response, what they agreed with uh, Chaim Weizmann, uh, the, the, one of the Hashemite princes, uh, Faisal, who was scheduled to become king of Syria, uh, signed an agreement in January 19 with Chaim Weizmann that basically recognized uh, the mutual uh, uh, interests of the Zionist movement uh, and the Jewish people on one side and the Arab uh, kingdom to be on on the other. And there's I mean, even it's kind a fr- of a prototype for the Abrahamic Accords, no? I mean, it's sort of the... It, it is even, uh, it has language about close Jewish settlement of the land, which afterwards mm-hmm. made it into, made its way into the mandate uh, of the of, of the League of Nations, a f- fascinating document. And unfortunately, he wrote a caveat, Faisal, saying if m- the promises made to me will not be respected, then this this uh, document uh, does not exist. I mean, mm-hmm. and and the British preferred their commitment to the French over the promise to Faisal, and he was driven out of Damascus. He was given the Kingdom of Iraq as a consolation prize. And his brother was given, Abdullah was given Jordan, Transjordan, at the expense of the original uh, mandate of Palestine, was carved into two entities, British Palestine, mandated Palestine, and uh, the Emirate of Transjordan, which is today's Jordan. Now, the relationship with the Hashemites, uh, knew, of course, moments of crisis, 48, we fought uh, bitterly for Jerusalem, and, Even uh, though, you know, the famous secret mission of Golda Meir, she went to visit King Abdullah at his house and tried to get him failed. to keep his commitment. She failed. Yeah. She failed. But there was a commitment before that, when, when, yeah. uh, but, but it was not kept. Uh, when uh, Ben-Gurion wrote to the, uh, essentially to Truman by way of uh, Judge Frankfurt in '46, talking about uh, partition uh, west of the river, between uh, what he called then Judea, it was not yet Israel, Yehuda, and Abdalia, that is to say the kingdom of, uh, what is now the kingdom of Jordan, he more or less drew the line that ended, that we ended up with in 48. Um, uh, and, and, based, and suggested that the king Abdullah should be the ruler of the Palestinian areas uh, that would not be part of Israel or, or part of the Jewish state uh, west of the river. There was, I would say, an understanding that uh, the kingdom uh, shared with the Zionist movement uh, an urgent need to get rid or neutralize the Mufti of Jerusalem and his supporters. Mm. So in that respect, yes, we had the same enemy. But by the time the war came, the war was fought in dead earnest because the key was Jerusalem and Abdallah wanted Jerusalem to himself. And uh, we fought him tooth and nail and end up, ended up carving the city between Israel and Jordan for the next 19 years. And then King Hussein went to war, was coerced into war with us in 67 because he feared uh, Nasser and, and subversion and maybe a revolution against him. And he lost the West Bank and, and Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. And, and later 
he considered that Jordan is no longer interested in retrieving these areas. And stayed um, out in 73. He stayed out in 73. He owed us for his survival in 1970 when the Syrians invaded and we uh, played a role in persuading them to withdraw. Let's put it like this, in coordination with uh, Nixon and, and Kissinger and the Jordanians. And so he owed us his life in 1970, and we, he repaid by warning us in 73 that the war is coming. Mm -hmm. We didn't listen. We didn't listen. Yeah. And and then he essentially stayed out. He sent a brigade over to the Syrian side to you know to come clean, but he did stay out of the war. Otherwise, he also more or less during that period decimated the Palestinians. In 1971, yeah. he basically broke the back of the Palestinian organizations. They, it was so uh, brutal that they came over to Israel to surrender <laughs> yeah. acro across the river. Uh, so he cleared the place of uh, the Palestinian organizations, and, and that basically once again established a, uh, an unwritten uh, uh, partnership. Uh, King Hussein apparently came to Israel pretty regularly. There are stories of him in, in disguise uh, ogling the girls in Dizendorf Street or whatever. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but um, it, it, of course, all of this had to wait until after the collapse of the Soviet Union, the defeat of uh, Saddam Hussein in the 91 war, and the uh, emergence of the Oslo process for Jordan to be able to so to speak, come out of the closet and yeah. embrace the relationship with Israel in the open with Tzhak Rabin and uh, Hussein negotiating a peace treaty, and that peace treaty still holds. And it has uh, a, clause, a, clause about, a clause about Jerusalem, which gives the Jordanians a certain uh, uh, foothold uh, in, terms that the, in terms of the um, responsibility over the waqf in the Temple Mount. Now, the Hashemites used to be... Well, can be, you explain? The term waqf is... Uh, it means here a religious It's a religious council with administrative control over the Temple Mount, which right, is in Israeli territory. Israel has de facto annexed it, so it's controlled by Israeli sovereignty, but the waqf are the Jordanian religious council that administer it. Yes. The term waqf means motmain. It means uh, uh, the money given uh, for religious institutions. So the council that manages this is essentially the religious administrative council of a country uh, in the Muslim world. And the waqf uh, of the Jordanian waqf maintains its, this administrative position, which enables the Hashemites to the, the, the family that has lost the Hijaz in, in 1925 to the Saudis. So they no longer are the custodians of the holy places. For a thousand mm -hmm. years, the Hashemites were the custodians of Mecca and Medina. Now it's the Saudis. Uh, who you know, on their national website, on their Jordanian government's website, and you look at their, that's the first thing they talk about. If you look up the, Hash, the history of the Hashemite king, for a thousand years, we ran administrative control of the great holy sites in Mecca and Medina. What, that's the opening, like, that's yeah, their great pride I mean, as Hashemites, because they're not from Jordan. So right. you're saying the Temple Mount is their, like, compensation like comp prize. Yeah, yeah. That's what they're left with. Uh, their gold, their, their bronze name. medal. They're yeah. bronze men. They, don't, they, they, they know that they're not going to reclaim this. Although the Saudis have remained very suspicious. They, the Saudis don't like the Hashemites. 
Uh, although there are fellow monarchs in the world where monarchies are threatened, uh, they do work together on issues, but at the end of the day, uh, let's me, let me put it uh, in an unpleasant manner, I would say the Saudis would never forgive the Hashemites for what the Saudis did to the Hashemites uh, in 1925. Uh, so, um, but putting this aside, uh, this uh, slender hold in Jerusalem is very important. And therefore, the status quo, the present situation, is dear to the Jordanians. They fear uh, Israeli um, pressures to undo the status quo. They also know that no written agreement they have with the Palestinians, and they do have one, uh, that that, uh, presumably gives them uh, the same right uh, if uh, Jerusalem would come over uh, into Palestinian possession. But this is will be torn, this is a piece of paper that will be torn mm-hmm. on day one. The Palestinians will take the Temple Mount and celebrate its conquest as, uh, as the great uh, liberation since Salah, the greatest liberation since Salah Adin, and the Jordanians will have no, no more role in it. Uh, and, and therefore, paradoxically, the present situation in Jerusalem is a mutual interest of Israel mm-hmm. and Jordan. Uh, which which is all, also means that for us there is an interest in the persistence, survival, uh, and prosperous future of the Hashemite kingdom as such. So, despite all the tensions, despite all the tensions, it's a stable uh, peace. We have very close security cooperation. If you go across the river, you would see that their guard positions are not aimed at us, it would be pointless anyway, they are pointed inward in order to prevent penetrations of Israel from Jordanian territory. And they've been remarkably successful in this respect. Uh, not for lack of trying by the terrorists of terrorists of various colors, but they are simply very good at what they do, and, and we work very closely together. They are a, an effective military, and they have effective intelligence services, I wish I could say the same about uh, other neighbors of ours, but mm-hmm. the so the working with the Jordanians uh, has been beneficial. Yeah, but it sounds like to use the the sort of kitschy term, it sounds like frenemies. In other words, it's not it's not a simple thing. And Abdullah, maybe he doesn't exactly say Baradal, but his political rhetoric and his image making is is very tough on Israel. I, I would I would argue harsher than his father even, at, at least time, the last few years. Yeah. Well. The last few years, it's not so much Israel, uh, frankly. It's the Prime right. Minister. It's a person. Uh, it's, it's it's a rocky, a very rocky personal relationship. Because at the at the level below that, for example, Ashkenazi had a good visit, and the security establishments, uh, the mil- military to military, and uh, Mossad to uh, to the Basha, as they call it in Jordan, the the, the boss of the uh, the security mm-hmm. services. Uh, these are good working relationships and have been for years. Uh, but the, at, the, at the level of uh, the prime minister and the king, there have been, I would say, serious problems arising over the last few years. You're right. And, and, and uh, it had, these have had uh, an impact on, on, on the ground, like, like the situation with the border communities, which for 25 years enjoyed access to agricultural areas which are 
under Jordanian sovereignty, and now it's being it was denied, and the Jordanians closed the border. Um, a pity, really, uh, I would say. I mean, but, not, uh, it, but it doesn't change. It doesn't change the basic equation. I mean, even to the level it, it filters down. I would say even to the level of like Israelis traveling to Jordan to visit, which is like it's done, but it's not. Well, they sometimes, sometimes they run into difficulties. The Jordanians, yeah. for example, don't like to see people walking in, in crowded tourist areas uh, with skullcaps on, for example. And then there have been various difficulties. But uh, uh, still, it is, it is a, a country with which we are uh, uh, in peace. It has. Uh, we have. They have a, Jorda- a full full time ambassador in Israel. We have a full time ambassador in Oman. Uh, as I said, our security establishments work well together, and uh, and the stability of Jordan is in our interest. Um, and by the way, one of the reasons that I personally and uh, you know, Feynman Bar JSS uh, advocate. Retaining Israeli control in the Jordan Valley is because Israeli uh, Israeli presence is, in its own way, a guarantee of Jordanian stability. Mm. If we had had no access to the Jordan Valley, uh, it would have been more tempting for various uh, subversive mm. and terrorist elements to try and take over Jordan and then use this as a, a, a bridge over to the Palestinian area. So our presence in the Jordan Valley is actually strategic, and not only for us, also for Jordan and uh, Jordanian hmm. stability. Uh, may I ask you, um, just a, a, a sh- and this may not be a short question, it's intended to be a short question. We've had you speak to us before about the peace deals with the UAE and with Bahrain. Um, so you were talking about how the peace deal, the, that we're at peace with Jordan, but also that they don't want people necessarily walking around with uh, with kipot and stuff like that, which is in complete, seems opposite to the Gulf countries where there's like Pesach programs now and you can have Jewish weddings there and all that sort of thing. Can you compare Holo- the two Holo- Holo- Holocaust memorial Holocaust memorials ceremony. Mm-hmm. No, the, 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 at the root of the problem in Jordan is that uh, the majority of Jordanians are of Palestinian origin and the level of popular hatred towards Israel and the Zionist project in Jordan is still very, very high. I think it is. it was sampled by uh, Pew and others, and in, 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 in it is at the highest level of any Arab country, I mean, higher than, mm. uh, despite the warm relationship between Israel and the Jordanian establishment, uh, the, at the popular level, there's deep resentment. They do tolerate Israeli tourists, it's good business. They know, they understand uh, that uh, uh, breaking up this relationship would have unbearable costs. Uh, but if you speak to you know, individuals as to their sentiments... Palestinians, Bedouin, no matter what their ethnic background? Mo- or? Most, well, Palestinians more than Bedouins. Mm-hmm. But even the Bedouins, uh, you know, have been absorbing the, mm-hmm. the, the, the level of the dislike and hatred um, over the years. So while we actually do have friends we can work with in the higher echelons of the Jordanian establishment, the popular position towards Israel is a different story. Okay. Thank you. And part of the part of the part of the government's balancing act. Again, you know, like I said earlier, it's it's one of the it's one of the only regimes left standing after 
after real actual four letter word coups in you know all over the Middle East Revolu revolutions no Re the, the, all over. it's the stability and of Jordan and these guys are still here from the yeah. British yeah it's remarkable it's definitely so remarkable. that balancing uh, act, that tightrope the, the, they the, have to the, you know. the, for years and years, uh, there's always, there was always the assumption that the, the king would not last long, uh, that somehow uh, things would uh, would fall apart. And we've been through these cycles from the 1950s onwards, and uh, they're still in power. Well, Even the first king was assassinated. He was, uh, and his son, Talal, was uh, clinically deranged and had to yeah. be removed. Uh, in favor of his young son, who was 16 at the time, and came yeah. to be one of the greatest men in modern uh, in regional history, uh, King Hussein, who did uh, marvelously, not only survived, person, yeah. but ultimately uh, uh, made peace with Israel and, and uh, made the right choices. Um, his, uh, his son, Abdallah II, is, you know, basically has his, I don't know about his heart, his mind is in... Uh, at the end of the day, his mind is in the right place. But, the, as I said, the personal tensions and policy differences have given rise to some tension in recent years. And sort of as we come to the end, to bring it around, to connect it, so now we have this little round of the not-coup of the of the, yeah, the insert, you know, whatever whatever it was, but it's a long, it has this long history, and perhaps, you know, the government's sort of putting it down quickly is because they always have to watch this this delicate tightrope. Yeah. The, the Jordanian society, certainly today, is fraught with tensions. Uh, the, yeah. this, this, the Syrian element is eating up resources and pushing aside, you know, the lower ranks of society pushes aside people because these were, the, the, the Syrians would work for anything to survive. And, uh, and uh, of course, there's also, there are also people in Jordan who are fabulously rich. So they, the gaps, mm -hmm. social gaps are glaring. Uh, corruption has been uh, endemic. Uh, not as endemic as on the Palestinian side, but still fairly endemic. So all of this, yes, definitely. It's, I would say that if, if there's a way for King Abdullah to benefit from what happened is if he takes it as a, as a wake-up call. Uh, for reform, uh, particularly reforming the, the quality and effectiveness of governance. Well, I hope he's a listener to the podcast. <laughs> we'll well, send it to him. <laughs> by all means, pray do. <laughs> we've yeah. met. I have to tell you, we've met, and uh, I, I had an opportunity to say to him that if the uh, Jordanian military in 1948 had not been acting uh, as gentlemen, I probably wouldn't be here because my father was a POW from Prisoner, the old city. Wow. Uh, and he was treated fairly well. I mean, you know, uh, being a POW is not fun, uh, but he came back uh, safe they, and they, sound. They, they worked under the rules of uh, POWs as opposed well, to some other... Yes. Essentially, yeah. yes. Yeah. yeah, and what were your impressions of uh, the king? As oh, he was, he was very impressive and, and very kindly. And, uh, and uh, at the time, at least, it was very clear um, that uh, he that, that he had in mind the same enemies as we did. Mm -hmm. They're going back almost twenty years. Uh, that was a different uh, 
Okay, but you kind of buried the lead there. That would have been cool. <laughs> that's, that's so interesting that you actually met him. Uh, that's oh, very, yes. very interesting. Yeah. Oh, yes. Okay. Well, we, we, we turn to our owl for the, uh, for the insight and the wisdom and also the, the ability to explain, you know, there's only so much we can pack into a 30, 35 minute, 40 minute episode. But, uh, but, but, and, and there's a lot to unpack, but, uh, th- as always, thank you so much for giving us your you. unique perspective and experience and helping us understand what is, I mean, not super surprisingly, a very complicated country in the Eastern Mediterranean with a very complicated relationship to Israel. So that never surprises us, but, you know, each one has its own particular, uh, uh dimension. So thank you for for taking the time to explain it to us and our listeners. We always appreciate it. You're very welcome. Thank and, you so much. Uh, thank you, Matt. Thank you. Um, we don't have to log off Zoom, but it is the end of the episode. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.